Now hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Happy New Year, everyone, and good morning to you. Uh, my name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. Wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. I do hope it's been a restful and celebratory Christmas tide for you all, and I hope that you will continue to celebrate even this week, keep feasting, keep singing joy to the world uh, as we near the season of Epiphany. Um, as Adam just read, today we pick up the, the text following the birth of Jesus, and, and this scene is, is really one in which we should pay special attention because it's only found in Luke's gospel. Like I said a few weeks ago, Luke is a detailed historian, but he is also a deep theologian. So he, he isn't just concerned with the facts of Jesus' life, but he's also concerned with their meanings, their deep meanings. So here's the scene. The shepherds have returned to their flocks. The great multitude of angels are no longer singing from the heavens. It's just Joseph and Mary and this little baby. So the spectacular seemingly has given way to the ordinary. And so Joseph and Mary begin this process of, of raising a faithful Jewish boy. In fulfillment of the law, Jesus is circumcised, 
They traveled to the temple to offer a sacrifice and to present him to the Lord. And maybe you noticed as Adam was reading, but throughout this passage, we see this repeated phrase, the, the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, the law of the Lord over and over, five times actually. There's this persistent emphasis on the law of the Lord. And I think that's because Luke is, is drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus from his earliest days, from his earliest days, he was obedient, entirely obedient to God's law. So Luke, who is, if you remember, he's writing to Theophilus in order to attest to all that Jesus fulfilled. And he, because he wants his readers, he wants Theophilus, he wants us, he, he wants everyone to trust Jesus. And the way to do that is to commend Jesus to them, ensuring that, that all of us know that he is fully integrated into the core of Israel's life as God's chosen people. And because he is in a faithful Jewish family, we get circumcision, we get sacrifice, we get obedience to the law of God. We, in this presentation at the temple, we have the Spirit's presence and we have the, pre we have the presence of a prophet and a prophetess in Simeon and Anna. We'll get to that a little bit later. But everything that Israel was called to do, everything that they were called to be in the world, everything that she was chosen to do, all of it makes sense in relationship to this child, to Jesus. And if you think about it, and I think we should, this scene speaks to the humility of God and to the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary because Jesus was dependent upon his parents for these acts of obedience. Jesus was sinless and perfect in every way and to a partial degree, I shouldn't even squint when I say that, to a partial degree, we have Joseph and Mary to thank for that. Had Joseph and Mary said, this baby is too special. He's beyond all of these laws and reasons. He's the Christ child. No. <clears throat> had they not fulfilled the law in Jesus' infancy, then Jesus would have fallen short of full obedience. Is that astounding? I think it should be. But this is also a picture of what it looks like to grow up within a covenant family. Children, Christian children, require faithful Christian parents who will pray for them, teach them, discipline them, nurture them, bring them weekly to worship and present them to the Lord, and so on and so on. Because they can't do those things on their own. They need us, they need you. The Christian faith, sojourn, the Christian faith is for children, for children, not just adults, not just the self-sufficient, not just people who can articulate good doctrine. We think of it right here, because of how he came, Jesus is able to say to every child in our church, I was a baby, I was a toddler too, and I know what that's like. Now if Luke wanted, he could have, he could have made this scene a, a lot shorter. If we were to cut out verses 25 to 38, it would, it would really be a seamless transition. 
Joseph and Mary travel to Jerusalem. They offer a sacrifice. They present Jesus in the temple. And then verse 39, to end it, when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Incidentally, these are the, this verse 39, these are the exact same words used to describe Samuel and John. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the great faithful priest of Israel. But just like I said, he could have made this very short. He could have compacted this, but Luke has decided to expand upon the narrative. And so while Joseph and Mary and Jesus are visiting the temple, they encounter two very, very important people, Simeon and Anna. Just as an aside, it's, it's terribly interesting to me that Luke consistently highlights these male and female pairings. So far in the gospel, we've had middle-aged Zechariah and Elizabeth. We've had very young Joseph and Mary, and now very aged Simeon and Anna. At, at, at the very least, maybe we could say, wow, Jesus has come for all generations. He's come for the young, He's come for the old. He's come for us all. But we'll start with Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word comfort, if you remember Isaiah 40, comfort, oh comfort my people, remember that. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. We'll pause there for a second. He, what we see here is this incredible, this threefold action of the Holy Spirit that we're probably not used to uh, completely from the Old Testament. This is sort of almost kind of like Pentecostal kind of language, like the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit moved Simeon into the temple. This phrase in verse 27, he came in the Spirit, is, is used elsewhere in Scripture. Specifically in association with prophets and prophesying concerning the temple. If you remember, Ezekiel is moved in the Spirit to the dry bones, the valley of dry bones, he's given a vision of the new temple. The apostle John in the book of Revelation is moved in the spirit to a mountain where he too is given a vision of the new temple. And so we here we see Simeon moved in the spirit to the temple in Jerusalem where he encounters the new temple, the baby boy whom all these prophecies, upon whom all these prophecies hinge. So Simeon in this, is not just given a vision. Simeon is permitted to see, touch, and hold the Messiah in his arms. I hope we don't miss this, that when Jesus comes into the temple, it's not just baby Jesus coming indoors. It's the presence of God filling his house. Verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Simeon, filled with the Spirit, utters another prophetic oracle. Again, we're singing again. Holding a 40-day-old 40, 40 infant, Simeon can say that he has seen God's salvation. It's incredible. It's incredible. And just like Mary's Magnificat, which we looked at a few weeks ago, Simeon's speech here is called, it's called the Nunc Dimittis. It means, now you dismiss. Nunc Dimittis. The, you know these songs, the Magnificat, the Nunc Dimittis, the, the, uh, the Benedictus that Zachariah sang? You know, there's some traditions that sing these songs at different parts of the day and year. Just wonderful songs. But there is one surprising element within Simeon's words that I do want to point out. Back in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is told that John would prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Then Mary is told that her son Jesus would reign over the house of Jacob, meaning over Israel. And when Mary and Zechariah sing their respective songs, they sing about the salvation of Israel. So thus far in the Gospel of Luke, it's all been about the nation of Israel. John is preparing Israel. Jesus is ruling over Israel. Everyone is singing about Israel. But Simeon broadens the scope of, of Jesus' ministry. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. It makes it, maybe our minds immediately go to all the places in Isaiah where Isaiah talks about the coming light. See, not only would Jesus bring light and glory to Israel, Jesus would also bring light and glory to the Gentile nations of the world, to the entire world, all peoples. In verse 33, Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, now think about this, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Perhaps Mary is listening to Simeon and saying, thank you. Don't know what that means. Any of it. So what does Simeon mean when he says this? Your, your child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, for a sign that's opposed, a sword that will pierce your souls, and many hearts will be revealed. Well, perhaps Simeon is foreshadowing the cross a reference to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, to his own fall and rise, and to many in him, many of their falls and risings. We do know that Mary was present at the foot of the cross, and in the words of, of Kenneth Bailey, around the cross there flows a river of compromise. Everyone is strangely exposed. 
in the cross, so much is revealed, hearts and thoughts. The disciples who, who know Jesus best run away in fear. Peter, making bold promises, ultimately denies Jesus. The high priest is complicit in the murder of an innocent man. Pilate sacrifices Jesus for the sake of his own political career. All of these hearts get revealed at the cross. And in the midst of all this chaos and fear and deception and selfishness and murder, there at the foot of the cross is Mary. Helpless to change anything, but faithful to be with her son at his darkest hour. And as the nails and sword pierced her son, they pierced into her soul as well. And Mary entered into Jesus' sufferings. Just like Simeon says that she will. Perhaps it might also make us think about Simon Peter, who's another Simeon, who will preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people will be cut to their hearts by the gospel. Responsible for the rise and fall, many, yeah. Yes, Jesus will be responsible for the death and resurrection of many. He will be the sign that is opposed. He will be that stumbling block, that rock of offense, the cornerstone that is rejected. And through him, many hearts will be revealed how right is Simeon. Yeah. Now on to the prophetess, Anna. Because we're in a temple We have a man and a woman in Joseph and Mary. We also have a man and a woman, Simeon and Anna. It's not good for Simeon to be alone. If he is an old Adam, then he needs his Eve waiting for him in the garden temple for the new Adam as well. Whereas the Gospel of Luke gives us a a detailed account of Simeon's interaction with Jesus, we're left to wonder what exactly or what actually happened with Anna. She comes into the temple. We're told that she begins to speak, but we aren't told what she says. Luke just carries on with the story. Why? Why Why don't we get to know what Anna had to say? Well, let's, let's read. And there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow, until she was 84. So these these details and numbers are really significant. Luke really has no reason to specify these details unless there's something for, for us to see in the details. So Anna's 84, okay, Anna's 84, which is seven times 12. Go with me on this. Seven is the number of completion and creation. Twelve is the number representing Israel. So the point I think here is from Luke is not that Anna is just old. The point is is that she represents the fullness of Israel. But more than that, she represents the faithful of the nation. She is another Hannah continually fasting and praying in the temple, seeking God's salvation. 
Now she's also from the tribe of Asher, one of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. If you don't know, the, after the Assyrian Empire conquered the 10 tribes, they slowly assimilated into the nations and they effectively disappeared from historical record. But here is Anna, a member of the tribe of Asher, representative of the lost tribes. Anna represents the nation of Israel, regathered and reunited to Christ. It's a picture of what was lost being found. The lost tribes of Israel are finally coming home and Jesus is giving the people of God a new birth. He is the faithful husband who has come to rescue his waiting widow in Anna. And just as an aside, I just, I just thought this was really wonderful. Faneuil, uh, her father, Faneuil, his name means the face of God. So she, this is a woman who has come from the face of God to see the face of God in the temple. I think the Bible is pretty wonderful. <laughs> now I know it's, a, it's a, quite a bit to follow, but, the, but really what I want us to hold on to is just that Anna represents the entire nation of Israel and she knew that Jesus had come to redeem the nation of Israel. She knew that, that all the promises of God were pointing to that redemption. And so perhaps the reason that, that Luke does not tell us what Anna says in the temple is that he wants to challenge all of his Jewish readers, all of the people of whom Anna represents, his Jewish audience, to ask themselves, what would we say? What would we say? What would the nation of Israel, how would the nation of Israel answer the question, who is Jesus? Back to 30, verse 37. Anna did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, the hour that Simeon encountered Jesus. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, or of Jerusalem. Both Simeon and Anna here, these devout Jews, their piety surpassed the piety of all others. And I think Luke is inviting us to contrast the devotion and faith of Simeon and Anna with the other prominent Jews at the time of Christ's birth. Because here are Simeon and Anna representing the oldest generation of Israel. And they are worshiping faithfully, fasting faithfully, praying faithfully, waiting eagerly, expectantly for the promises of God to come to fruition, waiting on the Messiah. And what is the king of their nation doing? He is actively trying to murder Jesus. He's actively trying to murder the promise of God. And 33 years later, Jesus will come into this same temple and the leaders of Israel will condemn him to die. So in general, the rich and powerful are blind to the birth of their own salvation. But as we've seen in Luke, the Lord was exalting those of humble estate. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. The identity of Jesus as the Messiah is being revealed to the faithful, to the devout, to the humble.
See, Simeon and Anna demonstrate for us what godly devotion looks like. They spent their days in the temple worshiping, reading, learning, fasting, praying, waiting, attending, attending to others. Don't doubt, hold on, believe in his promises, trust the Lord. He will not fail you. And here's the thing, Simeon and Anna knew the sin and corruption that poisoned the house of God. They knew of the corruption that was currently, at that time, poisoning God's house. They knew the temple needed cleansing. They knew that Israel needed saving, but that's precisely why they were there every day. Even though they were well acquainted with the temple's flaws and Israel's sin, they did not abandon the temple on account of its flaws. Simeon and Anna remained in the temple, fasting and praying for the cleansing of the temple. And there's so much that we can learn from that. Sojourn, it's very easy to today, very easy today, to dwell upon the church's flaws and failings. And not just over the last two years. But abandoning the church is precisely the wrong instinct. The church needs prophets and prophetesses who see the flaws and yet remain. Fasting and praying for the cleansing of the church, not abandoning her. If God says that he dwells in the church as he dwelt in the temple, that the church is his home and it's where he can be found, then we should go there. We should go there with our petitions, our prayers, our fasting, our hope. One final thing. I think Simeon and Anna provide a wonderful example for us to follow in terms of our, of our spiritual lives. And what I, what I mean by that is our devotional practices, the spiritual rhythms that we engage in and employ. Simeon and Anna were devout in their daily rhythms, and it seems clear that God rewarded them for that. Now, I recognize for many of us here, the, the stage of life we're in doesn't lend itself to the cultivation of a robust devotional life. I think I said it a number of weeks ago. At this time in our lives, collectively, we are the busiest that we've ever been. We have more responsibilities than we've ever had before in our lives. There's not a lot of margin. Even to add to that, I think a young mom with three small children is probably not going to be able to devote the most devoted devotional ever devoted. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not proposing a one-size-fits-all approach to spiritual discipline. But I also don't want to miss an opportunity to commend the practices of Simeon and Anna to us 
By no means do I think that Simeon and Anna were saved by their spiritual disciplines, but I do think Simeon and Anna, by virtue of their devotion, they prepared themselves, they fashioned themselves into fitting vessels of God's spirit. That was their reward. They got more of God's spirit. Positionally, they were no better off than any other faithful member of the covenant community. I want to be clear about this. To be in the covenant is to be in the covenant. Your level of discipline does not determine your status before God. It just doesn't. But God was able to use Simeon and Anna uniquely because of their humility and discipline and willingness to be a vessel. In short, we should pursue these disciplines because there are blessings to be had. God delights to honor these practices with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Trusting God, bearing witness to Jesus, reading and obeying God's word, praying, fasting, singing songs, singing the Psalms. For those who pray and fast and worship and give generously and meditate upon the scriptures, there are blessings to be had, blessings we would not have enjoyed otherwise. And guess what? We don't have to do any of those things alone. We can do them together. Pray together. Read together. I want you to read the Bible alone, but I think I said it once a long time ago. Reading the Bible alone is like eating alone. It's fine but it's better to eat with other people. It's just better. Sing together, pray together, come to the gatherings together, listen together, wait together, trust the Lord together, and say to each other, hold on, trust him. He will take care of you. He will not fail you. Simeon and Anna were doing these things before Christ came. How much more can we, the church, engage in this side of his death, resurrection, and ascension. Imagine a church full of Simeons and Annas. What a privilege it would be. What a privilege it would be. Before we pray, I I wanted to read this short poem. Shocking. Um, I wanted to read this short poem. Inspired by a woman named Margot Neal in this photograph that she took I don't know if you can see that, if, it, if the colors make out. It's a, it's, a, it's a small child, her grandchild, in this little soft bassinet. That sweet little face. The poem inspired by this photo is called Candle Mass. I want you to think about our passage today. Joseph and Mary coming with Jesus into the temple see the people in the temple. You can see Simeon running up and welcoming Jesus. Anna coming over. Let's just think about that. They came as called according to the law, though they were poor and had to keep things simple. They moved in grace and quietness and awe, for God was coming with them to his temple. Amidst the outer court's commercial bustle, they'd waited hours, enduring shouts and shoves. Buyers and sellers, sensing one more hustle, 
had made a killing on the two young doves. They come at last with us to candle mass and keep the day the prophecies came true. We glimpse with them amidst our busyness the peace that Simeon and Anna knew. For candle mass still keeps his kindled light. Against the dark, our Savior's face is bright. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you again for your word, Lord, that, that seems to continually bloom in our hearts and minds. We think we have plumbed its deaths, and yet we read it again, and there is another floor, <laughs> another, another hollow wall to bust through and find that there's an entire wing that we didn't even know about. Lord, we thank you for your word that is trustworthy. We thank you for you who are trustworthy. And Lord, we want to be a people who take you at your word. Would you make us like Simeon and Anna, all of us? Would you make us people who, um, Lord, who, who, who long to trust you? and who help one another trust you. Lord, give us, give us to devotion, we pray. Our hearts and minds to devotion, our lives, our bodies to devotion. We have here our Savior giving his very body. Even at the beginning, his own circumcision was a foreshadowing of the cross. Lord, we pray that you would continue Lord, to circumcise our hearts. Lord, to make us a people who long for you, wait for you, trust in you, cry to you, pray and fast and obey you. Would you make us such a people? Please, please help us, we pray. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.